0: To the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. It feels so good to be in the house of God this morning. If you don't know, my name is Evans Astar. I am the student pastor here at High Praises, and I just I'm honored to preach the word to you today, and I want to say thank you to Dad, to our pastor, Pastor Chris, for uh, just, just giving me the opportunity to deliver God's word to you. Um, he is currently in Georgia with my family, with my grandfather, ministering in a church that he is the interim pastor at, so we're happy to share him and, and his ministry with them today, and I'm just excited to bring God's word Hey, I don't know if you have been keeping up with it, I spend most of my time with our students, usually downstairs in our middle school ministry, but it seems like the past few times that I've had the opportunity to preach upstairs, there has just been this recurring theme. It seems like the last few times I've preached up here, I have somehow managed to talk about video games. And so I just figured with my opportunity today, I would go ahead and end that saga and just finalize where I'm at in the world of video games. Last time I talked about how I had a really big decision. I could either be PlayStation or Xbox. And I've come to tell you that after lots of praying and fasting and seeking the Lord... I decided with Xbox, so I managed to get a pre-order in. Somebody is clapping. Praise God for Xbox. Man, I I decided to to go with that, so I got my pre-order in, and so how it works is that they deliver it to your house. You don't go pick it up from the store, and so I found out the day that my Xbox was going to be coming to my house, and I was like a child. I mean, I sat by the front door all day, and like, I don't know if y'all have ever been waiting on something that you really want, but it is agonizing. Time seems to slow down. Not only that, but it was supposed to come on a FedEx truck. FedEx decided to just toy with my emotions. Because early in the morning, I look out and I see a FedEx truck on the street beside me. And I think, oh baby, here it is. And then he drove off, never to be seen again. And then a few hours later... It gets even better. There's a FedEx truck on my street. And at this point, I'm dancing, I'm shouting. I'm like, here it is, it's here. And that dude just drives straight down my street and does not stop at my house. I mean, at one point, I'm standing in my room, and then I hear the doorbell ring. And I sprinted to the front door. Like, I don't know if Usain Bolt has a record for like a 30-foot dash, but I beat it right there. And I run to the door ready for my Xbox And it was a UPS lady delivering Bed Bath & Beyond products. Like, you want to talk about disappointed. But finally it came in. Finally it was there. And, man, it is awesome. It looks good. It plays good. The graphics are amazing. The games are a whole lot of fun. Like, it's awesome. Like, I don't know if you do this with new stuff that you get, but I'll just be walking by the living room and I'll just stop and stare at it and then just go do whatever I'm doing. Like, you are beautiful. You know, like, just looking at it. Don't try and play like you don't. Guys, you know, you get that brand new shotgun out and you're just staring. Nothing to kill, nobody to shoot, nothing like that. You're just looking at it. Man, it's awesome, though. It's so exciting getting a new thing. And so it's shiny, it's brand new, it's it's wonderful. All of this is great. But in the back of my mind, I'm knowing this to be true that right now it's awesome. But in two to three years' time, it's going to move from amazing and awesome to just standard. I mean, it's not that it's not fun, it'll just be standard, it'll be ordinary. then I know that three to four years after that, it'll move from standard to obsolete. It'll be old. It'll wind up getting sold somewhere for the new thing. I know that it's a good thing. It's a shiny treasure. It's something I enjoy, but it's temporary. It was never designed to last me. And I think that it's, it's interesting when we take a look at our relationship with Jesus and, and how we view the world that so often we get caught up treasuring the things that were never designed to last us. Like, have you heard that phrase, this is my pride and joy? Christian, my question to you today is this, what is your pride and joy? Is it based in Christ or is it based in something else? In fact, I'll ask you this. Is all of your attention and focus and faith and everything else focused on something in this world to the neglect of your spiritual life? That as your hobby grows bigger and your bank account grows bigger and you work towards that promotion, is your character lessening? Is your relationship with God decreasing? Is there not enough time in the day for the Lord and you are suffering? My question is, can we choose to live our lives orient, oriented around something that was never designed to last? And so that's why today we're looking at Isaiah chapter 4. Isaiah chapter 4. And so this is like a, a pretty compact passage. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Would everybody just stand in the room today in reverence of God's word? And we're going to begin in Isaiah chapter 4 beginning at verse 2. It says this. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst, by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above for assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a covering and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat, for a place of refuge and for a shelter from storm and rain. Thank you. You can be seated. So here's what's going on in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet, one of the major prophets, prophesying to God's people, the nation of, of Israel. And so what's happening is Israel has gone into complete and total sin, and Isaiah is prophesying to them to call them to repentance, that they haven't fallen under God's judgment yet, and so his goal is to bring them back to the Lord so that he wouldn't judgment, judge them. But Isaiah, prophesying, knowing what's going to happen, calls them to repentance, but knows that they won't repent. And so he pronounces their judgment on them. But Isaiah has good news for us. He doesn't just talk about the sin of Israel and the judgment of Israel. He actually provides hope for Israel. And so Isaiah chapter 4 is a message of hope, but Isaiah chapter 3 is a message of sin and judgment. See, in Isaiah 3, God goes after the sinful people of Israel and begins to describe their sin. And he goes after two groups of people. One, he goes after the rulers of Israel. He says that the rulers basically live for their own authority, for their own power, for their own influence. For their money, for their ability to to take advantage of people and steal from people. That that Jesus, or God says that, that there's blood guilt on their hands. That they have murdered people. That they are sinful, wicked people. In fact, he says that they flaunt their sin worse than Sodom. Like they are just all about themselves. And then the second part of Isaiah 3, he goes after the women. Calls them the daughters of Zion. He says that their pride and glory, what they treasure most, is outward beauty. It's their money, it's their stuff, it's their jewelry, it's all the things that they have on the outside. And so God can rightly say about this people that they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That they were a people whose entire pride and glory, their life was centered on worldly pleasures, on stuff on themselves, and what they could get, what they could accomplish, what they could have, what title they could have. And it wasn't centered on Christ. Ultimately, their pride and glory was built on something that was never designed to last. But where is the hope? God gives us the hope for his people. That he doesn't want his people to be stuck in sin forever, but he wants to make them holy. And that's why he says, beginning in verse 2, In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing. Other translations say the fruit of the earth will be the pride and joy of Israel, those who have escaped. And then he says it shall come to pass that he who was left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. So what is God's plan for the sinful people? One, he's going to send them a branch. Now I don't know if you're a note taker, maybe you just want to kind of lodge this in the back of your brain. When the Old Testament speaks of a branch rising up, it is usually speaking about the Messiah. Oftentimes you'll see it called the branch, or the branch of David, or the branch or root of Jesse. See, the Old Testament prophesies that the Savior, the Messiah, would come down the line, the lineage of King David. And Jesse is King David's father. So when you hear this language of the branch of either Jesse or David, the Old Testament is talking about the prophesied Savior that would come from David's line to save Israel and ultimately to save the world. Now fast forward, you and I know who this branch is. We know who this Messiah is. It is Jesus Christ. And so the branch, Jesus Christ, has come to do what? To produce fruit in the land that would be the pride and glory of God's people. Now what kind of fruit Has Jesus come to produce in us? We're not just talking about physical fruit. God's not going to change his people by just like throwing an apple at them. Be like, all right, here you go. Like that doesn't make any sense. What Jesus came to do in us is to produce spiritual fruit. In fact, if you've been a Christian a while, I bet I already know where your brain is going. You're going to the book of Galatians in which Paul describes the fruit of the spirit. That the branch came to produce this fruit. And what is this fruit? It is holiness. That by the time the branch gets done, the people of God shall be called holy. That the very gift of God is an attribute of God himself, namely his holiness. That God came to transform a sinful people whose pride and glory was in material and titles and achievements and stuff. And now make their pride and glory what they live for and care about most, the reflection of their Savior. So why is Jesus' gift, his fruit, so much better? One, the things of this world, the material of this world are things you have to work for. You have to save up to get that house. You have to go to college to even uh, get, be considered for that position. You have to work overtime to get that promotion. It's something you work for. But the good news for us is that God's fruit is not something we work for, it's something that's given. It comes from the branch. You don't do anything, the branch comes along and produces fruit in you. That's why the Apostle Paul can say say, you are saved by grace through faith and this is not of yourselves. That the gift of God is so much better because it is just that, a gift, and you don't have to do anything for it, but just simply receive it. Why else is it so much better? Because the things of this world are temporary, but the gift of God is eternal. So you can make all of the money in the world. You can have all of the achievements in the world. You can be named world's best parent. Whatever it is that you treasure the most... And eventually, your money's going to go away. You're going to die and you can't keep it. And most likely, most people will forget about everything you've ever done. Now, I know that sounds a little bit depressing. But Jesus gives us a better alternative. That the work of your hands will eventually be gone, but his gift will last forever. Remember, Jesus comes to give us eternal life. And when he forms you and he shapes you in his own image, in his own holiness, that lasts with you forever. But finally, his gift is so much better because of this. The things of this world are created things. They're created things. There was a time when your position didn't exist. There was a time when the American dollar wasn't here. Everything is out of created material, created positions, or societies, or whatever else. It's just stuff. But what God wants to give us is his holiness. Namely, an attribute of the uncreated, eternal creator of the world. Like, think about that. Just measure the worth there. Do I care more about a dollar or reflecting the infinitely, power, <clears throat> infinitely powerful God of the universe? How much greater is it to look like the supreme being than to just possess things that eventually will fade away? But I'm concerned. That as we live life and we get in the rat race and we see all the things of this world, that it's so easy to get caught up in what is shiny and glorious and beautiful right in front of us and neglect the glory and the gift of God. And then it begins to decrease our relationship with the Lord. Like I asked you today, have you spent so much time working with your own hands in the dirt that you don't have time to move up and to receive the fruit of God as a gift? Are you so enamored with what is temporarily beautiful that you don't have time to receive the eternal holiness of God? Have you treasured something that looks so good to the eyes that there's no time left for Jesus? That as your bank account fills up, as your schedule fills up, as your hobby grows, have you neglected the things God has called you to be and called you to do? That I've been working overtime but there's no family time or no God time. That I've got a promotion in my job, but my character is slipping. That I've got such a desire to be seen as the greatest mom, the greatest dad in my social circle, in my homeschool group, that I'm willing to lie about how good I actually am just to get affirmation from others. Has your character And your devotion to the Lord began to slip to pursue something that simply won't last you. I ask you again, Christian, where is your pride and joy? And if it is not found in Christ alone, I encourage you to repent and turn to him today. Because his gift and his holiness and his fruit is infinitely better than anything you could pursue or possess in this life that it is the very nature and character of God, that it will last you forever, and it is a gift that you receive that you don't work for. Turn to him today and receive that eternal gift, that holiness, that eternal life. But how does God bring this about? How does this actually work? How does the branch begin to produce fruit in us? What is God's plan for Israel and for his people today? He tells us, he begins to to go on. Beginning in verse 4, he says this. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem. That word blood means blood guilt. That you are guilty of murder from her midst. By the spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. So what is God's goal for his people? It's to transform their hearts and to forgive them of their guilt. It's to change them on the inside to be a new person and to forgive them of their sins that they've done in the past. And how will he do it? He will do it with a spirit of judgment and he'll do it with a spirit of burning. To judge is to, you know, just judge right and wrong. Decide if somebody or something, some situation is right or wrong. And then burning is burning. In fact, the word literally means purging. So what did God do with the nation of Israel when he had this spirit of judgment and this spirit of burning or purging? Well, God, who is sovereign over all of the nations, actually used sinful and evil nations to judge his own sinful and evil nation. That he brought massive nations like Assyria in or Babylon in and that they would come in and that they would slaughter and they would plunder and eventually they would go into exile and lose their own city. That God used the nations to judge them as sinners and then to bring a spirit of burning and purge them. To bring that judgment on them. But there's two ways that we can look at what God did here. There's two ways. One, we can look at it on the individual level. You see those individuals in the nation of Israel who were committed to their sin, who refused to repent, were judged as sinners and then received their right punishment. It's as simple as that, that that God gave them a chance. He sent Isaiah, who went, went ahead and called them to repent, and they simply wouldn't repent. So what did those individuals get? They were judged as sinners, and then they were punished for their sin. That the burning was for punishment. But there's another level that we can look at this. See, when you zoom out and you look at Israel, not as a collective of individuals, but as a collective whole, as a nation, When God judged Israel, I mean, yes, he judged them as sinful, but how else did he judge them? As his own covenant people. As his people that he's declared to save. As his people that he's faithful to. Listen to me, as his people that he promised not to destroy, but to deliver and save. And so he judged them as his people, and he brought a spirit of burning, but not to destroy them, but to purify them. Because when Assyria and Babylon got done, Israel as a nation wasn't destroyed, but who was left? The repentant, the faithful, the righteous, those who trusted in God, those who knew that he was Lord, those who turned back to him. That you could either be judged a sinner and have punishment, or you could be judged a part of God's people and receive purity. Let's look at fire like in real life. Like real life scenario, fires have all kinds of different uses. One of those uses is to completely destroy and consume something. Like I think about all the wild, wildfires that we've had recently in California or in Australia. When you watch the footage of that, it is terrifying. Like when those fires get started, it destroys everything, leaving nothing in its stead. I mean, it just wipes it out. And then there are these poor folks who have their homes in these areas and everything they've ever owned is destroyed. All their precious valuables are gone. Fire can destroy, it can consume. Maybe you've used fire to get rid of leaves or trash or whatever else. Like, you know how this works. But fire also has a different use. Not for consumption, but for purity. Because you see, when you take something like gold or something like silver, and you hold it under fire, it doesn't destroy the gold or silver. It just gets rid of the impurities. That the things that kept it from shining brightly, from looking good, from being as valuable and useful as it could be are are burned away. And what is left is something pure and great and valuable. And God comes to humanity and his people with two goals. To judge them either rightly and purify them, or wrongly and punish them. In fact, John the Baptist comes speaking like this. See, John the Baptist was the forerunner to Jesus Christ. And so he's preaching this gospel of repentance, but then the sinful Pharisees show up. They have no intentions on repenting. They don't don't intend on quitting their sin. but But they show up to John the Baptist, and what does he say to them? He says, God has his winnowing fork in his hand. And he's gathering up the wheat, what is good, what is valuable. But the chaff he will throw into the fire. But then a separate group comes up to him. Believers. Those who believe John was a prophet from God. In fact, they ask John, are you the Messiah? And John says, I'm not the Messiah, but he's coming. What does John say? I baptize you with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That there is a fire for the unbeliever but a fire for the believer. One is for punishment and the other is for purity. And God will bring judgment and fire. And listen to me today. If you are a Christian, God has judged you rightly. Jesus Christ came to live a perfect life here on this earth and you have received his righteousness. Not only that, on the cross, he took all of your sin and all of the death that you earned and merited and took it on himself and and died, but then defeated it. That when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin, he sees his son. And so he has judged you righteous in light of his son. But then what follows up is a spirit of burning, not for punishment, but for purity. And maybe some of you in this room today are going through some struggles and through some trials and through some hard times. And you're asking the question, God, why are you punishing me? But maybe what you believe is punishment is really just purity. Maybe your kids are acting out not because God hates you, but because he's producing patience in you. Maybe you haven't found that job that you want yet, not because God doesn't like you, but because he's producing contentment and joy in you. Maybe your marriage is still rocky, not because God wants to get at you, but to produce true love and faithfulness in you. In fact, Jesus told us this, said, I'm the vine and you're the branches in this scenario. Those who don't produce fruit are getting thrown in the consuming fire. But those who do produce fruit, what? He will cut and trim until they produce more and more fruit. And know this, that you can take hope and courage today. Know this, that if you're a Christian going through a hard time, God is not using this scenario to get at you. He's using it to develop you. And instead of asking God the question, why me? Ask God, who are you making me to be? Because as we just sung earlier, all my life he's been faithful. As we sung earlier, God, you're so good. And all things work together for our good. And know this, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel of your suffering and you will come out greater and better on the other side. He is not punishing you. He is purifying you and gifting you with his holiness. But finally, what if, what if that doesn't match up with your situation today? What if you, what if you say, Evan, I, I, I don't have these idols in my life. I don't need my hands pried away from these idols. I don't need to be burned away from from these sins I'm clinging to. I've been serving God. I've been faithful to God. But you can say this I don't need purification, but I do need preservation. Because it seems like every day, Satan and his demons are tempting me to go back to the old way. And I've been bombarded to give up my faith and to go back to him. Can we just continue on with the analogy of gold? If you spent all of that money to purchase silver or gold and you spent all that time holding it under the fire to purify it, don't you think you would work real hard to protect it? You wouldn't take that gold bar and throw it out in the dirt. You wouldn't leave it on your front porch so somebody can steal it. What are you going to do? You're going to put it in a safe and protect it. And know this, that if God has purchased you with his blood, And he's purified you with fire. He will protect you from every storm and temptation that comes your way. In fact, Isaiah tells us this. Beginning in verse 5, he says this. Then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day. And the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a covering. And there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat, for a place of refuge, and for a shelter from storm and rain. God promises his people that after he has made them holy and purified them, them, he will be a shelter and a refuge for them. In fact, if you've been a Christian for a while and you're familiar with the Bible, you probably picked up on some particular language there. Because God says, I'm going to be a cloud over your head. And then he says, I'm going to be a pillar of fire over your head. And if you're familiar with the story of Exodus, the story of Moses, you know that after God set his people free from bondage, he protected them along the way. That as they're traveling in the wilderness by day, they have a cloud over their head to lead them and guide them and shade them from the heat. And that at nighttime, there's a pillar of fire to lead them and guide them so that they could see along the way. That while they were in the wilderness, they had no water, so he provided water from a rock. That they had no food, so he rained food down from the sky. That enemies came on every side and he fought their battles. God is producing a familiar image in Israel and a familiar image to you. That after he has delivered you and set you free, he will preserve you and protect you every step of the way. His presence is a promise. Maybe you don't feel like that. Man, maybe temptation is just too difficult for you right now. The marriage isn't working. Let's just get a divorce. I'm I'm just tired of fighting. Life is too difficult. Man, it was kind of fun before I was a Christian to just have a few drinks and clock out for a moment. Let's self-medicate. The sexual temptation that I thought I conquered is just coming back. What is happening? And the whole time you're asking, Lord, where are you? I remember that when I was growing up, I think I was in like first or second grade or something, um, me and Jaren decided that we were going to have a bike race. And so we didn't really hang out a lot because he was five years older, but at that point, like, we'd still kind of do stuff together, I guess. And so we decided we were going to have a bike race. And so we were going to have this race around this big, like, U-shaped area of our neighborhood. And it was like a pretty long, like, you know, whatever, drive or whatever. And so we hop on our bikes, and we're ready to go, and we're pedaling. I mean, we're just speeding. We are getting after it, and it is neck and neck. I mean, it is crazy. I am right behind him. I'm on my, like, little kid bike, and he's on his big bike, and we are just getting after it. And I'm ready. Like, I'm drafting. I'm behind him like this. All of the, I'm just kidding. But, like, I'm just, like, it is close. And so we're going, and I'm ready to round the corner, and all of a sudden, as I'm right behind Jaron. He completely stops. And my little kid bike hit his big bike. Boom, just like that, and I went flying. I mean, it felt like a Mary Poppins moment. I don't know how long I was up there. I was flying through the air. The next thing I know, I'm hitting the asphalt. I'm tumbling around. I've got all these scrapes and cuts and all this stuff, and it was terrible. Because apparently, Jaron said, we were going to stop at our friend's house halfway around the bend but I remember that we were going to race all the way to the end so I don't know he can't defend himself I have the mic I'm telling the truth all right but he boom just stopped right there and it was terrible I may have had a helmet on but I had no other protection no other pads no other anything and so that asphalt was just messing me up and I'm crying and I'm hobbling like this, looking like Frankenstein's monster, walking down to the house. Like It was awful to feel so vulnerable, to feel so unprotected. And so maybe right now you can sympathize with that. That it feel like, it feels like all of hell is coming after you and you're left vulnerable. What am I going to do? I'm this close. I'm this close to giving in. I'm this close to going back. It sounds so good, it looks so good, and you're wondering, God, where are you? Can I tell you this? He has promised to be with you to the end of the age. And though you may not feel him, you may not feel all the little tingles, he is with you, and he is for you, and he's never left your side. And he is a shelter and a refuge in the storm. And no matter what comes your way, when you put your faith and you put your trust in him, God will show up on time, every time. So know this, he is for you. He is protecting you. He is preserving you. You are valuable to him. And he will do everything he can to keep you in the faith. Just hold on. He's right by your side. So get in his word. And receive his promises. Every Sunday, every chance you can, get in here and get in his presence. Have a spirit of refreshing in this moment. Call out to him in prayer, knowing that he's closer than you'll ever know. And he's listening. There's a reason Jesus is called Emmanuel. It means God with us. God did not forget you or leave you in your sin. (laughs) No, no. He came running after you and he sacrificed everything. He's right by your side. So, would you stand today? I want you to just make an altar wherever you're at. Know God is with you, He's next to you. What do you need this morning? Have you placed your pride and your joy in something other than Christ and His gift? Do you live for something other than Jesus? Ask the Lord to give you wisdom to see that it's not worth it, that his gift is supremely better, to not pursue treasures that are temporary, but to pursue eternal life in him. Maybe right now you're going through a tough time, wondering why, why am I here? Ask the Lord to fix your eyes on what he's doing, knowing that he's good and he's faithful and we may go through fire not to punish, but to purify. For those of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to flip it on you. When God judges you a sinner, there is fire waiting, but not for purity, but for punishment. There is a hell, and it is real. But if you would just repent and believe today, oh, he's faithful to save you. And finally, for those of you, you feel like you're bombarded by temptation and by sin, ask the Lord to make his presence known to you. That he is a cloud over your head and a pillar of fire that he is all around you and with you. so wherever you're at right now would you close your eyes and would you go after God and receive from him whatever you need today Lord, I thank you so much for who you are God I thank you for your word I thank you for the fruit you want to produce in us that it is a better gift than anything we could ever ask for I thank you for that Lord you fix our eyes on eternity not what is temporary and to receive your gift today Lord, I pray for those going through the fire right now. that you fix their eyes on you? Lord, that they would ask, not why, but who, who are you making me to be? I pray for those who are in sin, that you convict them and draw them by the power of the Holy Spirit to turn from their ways and trust in you. And Lord, I pray for those bombarded by temptation, that they would know and trust and feel your holy presence, that you are a shelter and a refuge in the storm. It's in Jesus' name.